Happy Father's Day. Uh, uh, Jesus was actually uh, doing a lot of stuff in, in this text. Luke chapter 5 goes parallel with Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus is just involved in a great deal of ministry during this time. He's actually just, uh, uh, in chapter 9, he's finished feeding 5,000 people. He's actually gone into the city. He is healing the paralytic. He is healing and, and liberating people who were oppressed with demons. He, he is just doing amazing things. And his fame spread out, and he's in this house, and these friends of this guy who was a paralytic actually find out that, that the dude is in town. Let's go see him. After all, you've been laying down for all these years. Let's go find out. His reputation is that he heals. His reputation is that he fixed the brokenhearted. His reputation is that he actually tells the dead people to get up and they get up. Let's go see him. And I'm sure it took a while of convincing a person who's been laying down crippled for many, many weeks to get up and go somewhere else and different. Right, Luis? It's difficult. Any of you who are sick, who are, it's difficult to get up and go. But, but so he had some help. And his friends carried his mat all the way to where Jesus was. But there was such a crowd that they couldn't even get close to the door of the house. So these people were not Presbyterians. There must have been something else because they thought out of, out of the box. Well, not that kind of Presbyterian. We think out of the box here. So, so uh, they, they thought, well, if we can't get in through the door, let's check out the windows. No, the windows were full of people looking inside to all the miracles and the amazing things that Jesus is saying and doing. So, they're not traditionalist Presbyterians. They decided to go on the roof of the house. And guess what? Destroy property. Ooh, sound like a bunch of Puerto Ricans. <laughs> No, they went up there and they went into the house on the roof of the house and they began to tear out the tile. What kind of people do that? Not even their house. I don't know if it's their relative. They're going to hear about it one way or the other. They're tearing out the roof of the house. They're offending private property. They're invading and destroying private property. And yes, yet they are, they are insistent. They want to have this man see Jesus and Jesus see this friend of theirs. So they tear up the roof of the house and they lower the mat with some ropes. They lower the mat all the way down. Pictures that we have this scene. Artists have painted this, this scene in many ways. From, from even the, 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 the Byzantine days, we have mosaics of this story. To modern contemporary days, we have uh, paintings and, and abstract illustrations of this story. But the story typically uh, that we see around the 1800s painted is that the mat actually came down from the roof that's now broken ceiling and it just came in front of Jesus. And this is where we catch the scriptures. Listen to and for the word of the Lord. I got two, two verses more than you guys have. Okay? So I'm beginning with verse 20. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, the one who's in the mat, your sins are forgiven. Oh, man. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, 
Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Wow. And immediately the dude, I'm sorry, immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. The word of the Lord. Get up and walk. He got two blessings. I don't know what happened to him when he was laying in that mat and, and, and the mat was lowered and Jesus looks at him and they look at each other for the first time. He must have had greater expectations. He must have really been expecting for God to just raise him and he didn't get that. He just got your sins are forgiven. But what is this? Uh, okay, thank you, but how about me getting up? And now, now, we don't know because he obviously was quiet. Because the, 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 the rulers of the law, the Pharisees, uh, the, pastors and el and, and the pastors and elders of today, who are you to do that kind of thing? Who are you to wear that tie? That kind of, yeah. Who are you to have fun in church? Who are you to forgive sins? You see, in the Jewish custom tradition, only God can forgive sins. Only God can actually take our sins in such a way that they're disappeared. I have the, but I don't have the magic. God has the power to eliminate all of that. I have been sharing with you a series, where's the power? I've been sharing, the power. I've been sharing with you a series of messages about the Holy Spirit throughout this month, and it is a life of difference. A life of difference. Why should our lives be the same old, same old from Monday through, from Monday through Friday? We do certain things, the same old thing. From Saturday and Sunday, we do the same old thing, and nothing changes in our lives. I believe that the Holy Spirit and the Scripture teaches that the duty of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit in that day of Pentecost that we celebrated back in May 15th, when Jesus sent the Spirit, the Spirit has two main purposes in our lives. The Spirit does many, many things. Actually, uh, uh, Paul calls the multi-grace power of the Spirit or the multi-grace manifestation of the Spirit. But the two main duties that the Spirit has in our lives is, number one, to make the words of Jesus real in our life. Can you repeat with me? To make the words of Jesus real in my life. To take the words of Jesus and make them real here in time and space. Things that Jesus said thousands of years ago that have been gone through so many. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, the second duty of the Holy Spirit, first it is to make the words of Jesus really my life. The second duty of the Spirit is 
to help us understand God. You get it? Can we say that? To help us understand God. And that is the reason why we have Scripture. That is the reason why we have stories. That is the reason why we have hymns. Because all of this was inspired by the Spirit of God. All of that was given by the Spirit of God as gift so that the words will become real through song, through poetry, through speech, and that we are able to understand God in a better, better manner. And by being able to understand God, then we can follow God because we will understand God's voice. You see, I believe and I insist that if I have a relationship, if you and I have a relationship, a partnership, a friendship, or a connection with the living, real God, our lives cannot be anything else but extraordinary lives. Now, when I'm talking about an extraordinary lives, that is not that you're going to get 1,000 million hits on YouTube. Okay, I'm not talking about popularity. I'm not talking about fame. I'm talking about your life becomes extraordinary because now you have the Spirit of God that makes you sensible to touch lives, to give a smile to a stranger that may change their life at that moment, or, or, or to give a hand to a needy, to just be there in the ministry of presence with somebody who is hurting and aching quietly and silently. That is the ministry of the Spirit. I have been talking about, uh, so if God wants us to be that way, you see, I believe that in spite of our own fears, like last week we talked about healthy fears, remember? Healthy fears, holy fears, and hazardous fear. That's the one you're supposed to remember, the holy fear and hazardous fear. I believe that in spite of my own fears, whether they be hazardous fears, I believe that in spite of my sense of guilt, I believe that in spite of my fears and guilt that were put upon me by other people, God's Spirit wishes to make us free. God's Spirit wishes to make us free from this sense of fears, from these guilt, these guilt trips that paralyze, distort, obscure, misrepresent, and lie to us about real life with God. See, Jesus said, and I will show you the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Do you wish to be free from your guilt this morning? No, I'm going home. Shut it off, okay? Do you wish to be free from your sense of guilt this morning? Let's deal with it then. You see, guilt is not a good thing. Guilt is a good thing when it makes you to say, oh, I'm so sorry. So there is good guilt. And there is what I call guilty guilt. Let's deal with good guilt first. Because good guilt is that sense that we have done something wrong, something inadequate. But good guilt inspires us to fix it. You see, bad guilt just stays quiet and ugh. Good guilt inspires us to say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And sometimes it is so quick that we say something, and at the moment we say, oh, stepped on your toes without meaning to. I'm so sorry. How many of you have been there? Are you humans? So at least we have a sense of humanity that allows us to explore what is good guilt and respond to this sense of guilt that encourages us to do good to one another. But what is really guilt? Guilt is a feeling of remorse 
or negatively judging yourself for things you either did or did not do in the past, which you believe had a negative effect on yourself, someone, or something else. In religion, remember the old prayers of the old beautiful book of, 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 of worship, common worship that said, forgive us for our sins of commission and sins of omission. How many remember those two words? Omission and commission. Sins that we did commission, that we did intentionally, and sins that we do omission by not doing the right thing. By staying quiet when we see injustices, that could be a sin of omission. So that feeling that makes us feel bad, that feeling that tells us that something is just not right. Many of us don't, are not sophisticated enough. Of course, I use all this language because I'm, I'm a psychologist. It was my first career. And it's easy for me to use this language. But typically, people don't say, I feel guilty. What's the first sensation is, I feel bad. Right? I feel bad. There's something just not fits well. You see, and guilt plays a game of deterioration. Guilt actually erodes in our souls. It wears us down. It paralyzes the believer. It makes us feel bad about ourselves. It threatens our self-worth. It destroys our self-esteem and the way that God sees us. We can never see ourselves the way God sees us if we have a guilty conscience, if we have a guilty way about ourselves. It pulls, drags us, keeps us in the past, paralyzing our present and killing our future. Oh, guilt drags us to the past. It creeps up when? It tends to creep up when we rehearse our regrets and feelings of remorse. When we think that we could, when we think that we should, that we think that we would have done something differently. When we as parents, and I can talk about that. Mine are over 25, all of them, and they're alive, and they still call me, so I must have done something good. <laughs> it was frustrating for me being a parent because I had such high expectations, but I did not have a father who did the things that I did with my kids. I had to make that up. So, you see, parenting carries a lot of guilt. It's easy to feel guilty about your own behavior toward your children. We get cranky and impatient with them. Oh, they stress us and they tire us. They don't put the phone off at night. We got to take it to our rooms and hide it in there. You see, that's what we got to do. We get cranky. Oh, we just feel bad that we won't spend much time with them and that we are just not what we should. We regret not making it to the school performances. And there's about a million other reasons that we regret because parenting is difficult. Those of you who now have grandchildren who are older and are, and are kind of looking at great-grandchildren, you don't think about that one now. But the young ones who are here who are struggling with their families, they're dealing with that. Those grandparents like Maria who is responsible for her granddaughter, she struggles with that. I make believe sometimes I don't struggle with mine. <laughs> right? we're always parents. Guilt wears us out. It, 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 it debilitates us. It drags us down. It is exhausting to carry all that guilt along life's way. So we hide it. We wear it off. We wear our masks. We pretend that everything is okay. And even some of us are so bad to ourselves 
that we want to keep that sense of guilt because some twisted way of thinking has told us that feeling the guilt is our punishment. Now, Jesus came to cleanse us from all guilt, even that one. In, 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 I come from a Hispanic background, as some of you may know, and, and, and there's a lot of Catholics in that background. And for some reason, I was never Catholic. None of my family were ever Catholic, if you were wondering. Um, but I noticed that I have already understood that a Hispanic Catholic woman, check, check this with me, because we come from the same culture. Um, if I'm making this up, you throw me something. <laughs> um, uh, that they feel holier the more they suffer. Because they're aligning themselves with an image of suffering Virgin Mary. And they think that the more guilt they carry, the more suffering they experience, the holier they are. Hogwash! Please! That is a sweet, twisted way of maintaining of religion, yep, of religion maintaining people oppressed. And look who's talking about it. The one with us. But it is a way of keeping children of God enslaved to guilt and human manipulation by preaching guilt from the pulpit and preaching that people can get rid of their own guilt by doing this, by doing that, by doing that. Guess what? You cannot get rid of your own guilt. The Pharisees knew that in our Scripture. That's why they were complaining to Jesus. Who are you to forgive sins? Who are you to eradicate the guilt? Who are you to remove that feeling from that man? Who are you to even touch my lives and give me that freedom? Only God can forgive. Only God can cleanse. Only God can actually cleanse us. And Jesus knew it. So Jesus told his fogies, his critics, his uh, uh, colleagues who were just jealous of him, listen, guys, that's your problem. Because if, if, so that you know that I come from God, that God has sent me, which is easier for me to do? Just tell him, oh, your sins are forgiven. And lay him down in the mat? Or do we do the whole thing and say, your sins are forgiven. Get up and live the life that God intended you to live. Get up and be free from the guilt. Get up and be free from the fear. Get up and be free from the shame the guilt shackles us along with. Get up. Paul reminds us, and all these things, forgiveness, God's grace, God's healing, God's power, God's peace to us, all these gifts are from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. God who has given us this task of reconciliation to him. God forgave us. Do you believe that? Okay, I'm going to accept it. <laughs> Just because it's a process. It's a process. And the more you are reminded that God forgives you, the bolder and more confidence you have in doing the things of God. Because guilt will no longer have that thing on you. 
You will no longer have to hide, be ashamed. So why are we ashamed? If God has changed and God has transformed our guilt into joy, Jesus erases the guilt. So why are you holding on to it? You're not being holier. It's just holding you back from believing what God says. Guilt has been sent to the bottom of the sea, says the Scripture. Our sins have been sent to the bottom of the seas. They have been dispersed. And listen to the hand motion. As far as the east is from the west, does this make a cross? That's what it is. Christ, when he spread his arms, the guilt disappeared as far as the east is from the west. That guilt does not belong to you. God has already taken it and put it in Christ. Why are you walking with that guilt? Why are you walking with a consciousness of guilt? For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood, says Paul. To make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with the pure water. No guilt should hold you down. No guilt should keep you down. No guilt should drag you down. And no guilt should stop you from going and doing what God is asking you to do. No guilt should paralyze you from enjoying the life and moving into the land of promise by faith because we never know how it is. If you want a five-year plan for what's going to happen in the five next years, oh, I can give you one. I can give you one. And we'll probably start in that plan. But who knows what it's going to end up with. And that's the fun of it. You want to have a strategy to move in your life. But you have to allow the, the, the wondrous mystery of God to take us through those moments where we don't know, but God knows. No guilt should stop you from going, from paralyze you, or from stopping making a difference in this life. You see, let us go boldly into the presence of God. Let us go boldly into the community that God has given you. Let us go boldly into our families this afternoon. And with hearts full of trusting God and tell them that they are free. They are free from a guilt of consciousness because God has sprinkled with Christ's blood our consciousness and make us free. Free. Free from your guilt. You've heard me talk about this. I'm going to give you an idea to take home. I shared it with a Sunday school class. Say goodbye to Gil. You see the, the wrinkled paper there? I had the idea of having all of you write your big sin, your big guilt, guilt trip around here. I said, but how do I make it disappear? Because then they're, then they're going to think that I'm going to take that plastic bag and go home and read all of it. <laughs> I have a life, people. <laughs> you think I want to know your stuff? I know my own and it's enough. <laughs> my own is enough. You think? So I'm not going to read your stuff. So how do I say this? Well, go home. Do this tonight or this afternoon in a quiet place. Maybe in the bathroom. I thought of doing it in the bathroom because in the bathroom, I can take that very soft paper and I can write in it softly. And guess what I can do with it afterwards? And how would that sound? I haven't thought of having Edwin go to there and flush the toilet, but I didn't want to have that whole sound effect. That happened once to me. After preaching, I ran, I left this on. But do go home, go home and become free. Let him alone. It's okay. He's not going to do anything weird. Don't worry. He's home. It's okay. Go home. See, go home. When we relax, everybody relax. Go home and write that one thing that's keeping you guilty. Write that one thing. Don't write three or four. No, no, no. Just one. 
You're going to write that one thing that's keeping you uncomfortable, that's keeping you paralyzed, that's keeping you guilty. That's just one thing. Maybe you want to add another fear from last week, an unhealthy fear. And I'm not going to let, tell you what else to do in the bathroom. But when it comes to the time of flushing it, let it go. Let it go. It's a little strange to talk about body functions in here, but I thought that was a good illustration. Just flush it down. Right? Let it go. And then receive the forgiveness of God. And remember, this is a process by which we all go from glory to glory, from forgiveness to forgiveness, to confidence and boldness. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for your marvelous grace that frees us from fear, from guilt, from shame. And next week, you're going to talk us about worries, things that occupy our silent moments with anxiety and worry. Well, you want not us not only free from fear, free from guilty guilt that Christ went ahead and crossed and placed on the cross. Our guilt was placed on the cross and it was declared guilty. And we are declared innocent in the courts of God because of what Jesus did for us. Thank you. Thank you. May this reality be part of our life today, tomorrow, all the way through next week. In Christ we thank you. Amen.